So this morning with Love Local Sunday, as Gibbs said, we conclude our month-long life clinic and abortion focus. And we do so with a focus on life itself to remind ourselves, based on what the Bible has to say, of the value and preciousness of life. So this morning in our message, we're going to briefly cover the three following points that you'll see on the screen. First, God creates a unique image-bearing physical human life from conception every time. Second, God offers eternal life through faith in Jesus. And third, in light of these truths, how we can love others and stand in the gap in a life-affirming way. And then we're going to finish with a panel interview with several folks who are examples of what it looks like to stand in the gap for life. So let's dive in. First point, God creates a unique image-bearing physical human life from conception every time. Now, as we enter into the next six weeks and the political debate that's going to go on, we're going to get bombarded with all sorts of messages that people want us to believe. We don't really know when life begins. A fetus isn't really a human or a person or even my body, my choice. And in this context, I think it's vitally important for us to stop for a moment and remind ourselves about what God has to say. And he has a lot to say. And he says a lot clearly and unambiguously about human life, even from the moment of conception. And so as we unpack this, there's two main thoughts I want to share on this point. First, all human life is purposefully created by God and uniquely precious or image-bearing. Now, let's establish up front that human life is not an accidental outcome of millions of years of random evolutionary processes. Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Human beings as a race began from a one-time, a purposeful, intentional, creative act of God where he formed a physical body and then imbued it with the breath of life. Let's also establish that human life is uniquely precious. Genesis 1.27, after describing all the other aspects of creation that Dan wonderfully took us through a few weeks ago, We read that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every single one of us, from the moment of conception, has been imprinted with God's divine image. That status as bearers of God's image, including having a living soul, is what distinguishes us from every other living creature. And that's what makes us especially precious to him. That status, that image-bearing quality, and I cannot say this enough in today's culture, that's the true source of our human worth and our dignity. It's not our Facebook status. It's not our beauty. It's not our gender. It's not our perceived or desired gender. It's not our financial status. It's not our political affiliation. It's not our skin color. It's not our physical or intellectual ability. It's not whether we have a parent's desired genetic makeup or any other characteristic. And that status, that image-bearing quality, 
is why Jesus came to earth to live and to die on a cross so that he could restore that marred image-bearing aspect of our nature and perfect it the way it was originally created. So not only is it biblically clear that every human life is purposely created by God and uniquely precious, but second, we need to remember that a distinct, unique, self-conscious, and precious human life begins at conception. Consider Psalm 139 that we just read. For you formed my inmost parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And also Jeremiah 1. Now the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What are David and Jeremiah telling us? They're telling us that God knew each of them as a distinct, unique person, even before he formed them or knitted them together in their mother's womb. The personal pronouns, me, my, I, are used in these verses and indicate there's a unique, distinct person who's present before birth. And the number of days and the course of each of David's and Jeremiah's life was planned and known even before conception. Perhaps even more amazing is that God also speaks in the Bible of unborn children having the capacity, even in the womb, for self-conscious awareness. We see this principle demonstrated in the encounter of Mary and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 and what happens with regard to the babies in their wombs. Remember what happened after Mary became pregnant with Jesus? She went to visit her, her relative, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant at the time with John the Baptist. And so what we see in this encounter between them is not two people having an encounter, but how many? Four. Four people. Two women and the two baby boys that they're carrying inside them. And something amazing happens. Remember? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, verses 41 and 44 tell us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and that John the Baptist, while still in her womb, leaped for joy, acknowledging the presence of the unborn baby Jesus in Mary's womb. If John the Baptist could leap for joy in the womb and God cared enough about him to give him the gift of the Holy Spirit before he drew his first breath, we cannot, we cannot we cannot view an unborn fetus simply as a disposable blob of cells. Now let's consider the unborn baby Jesus. In verse 43, Elizabeth refers to him again while he's still in the womb as her Lord. Why? Because she recognized that Jesus was fully a distinct person and fully Lord, not just in the manger after birth, but also in the womb before birth. Finally, let's not ignore that these truths are entirely consistent with what we know from biological science. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a biologist, but I've done enough reading and talked to enough people to believe that these things and know these things are true. 
It is an empirical and irrefutable fact shared by more than a majority of scientists that a baby in a mother's womb is nonetheless a biologically distinct organism from the mother, not merely an organ or a piece of tissue in the mother. My body, my choice when it comes to an unborn fetus is simply not a biologically defensible statement. Why? We know biologically at conception that 23 chromosomes of the father's sperm fuse with the 23 chromosomes of the mother's egg to create a single cell embryo or zygote containing 46 chromosomes. And that embryo has 30,000 genes combined that determine its own unique DNA code, a code that is again separate and distinct from the mother's. And that DNA contains all of the baby's physical and unique characteristics, sex, facial features, body type, color of hair, eyes, and skin. So what's the point of all this? I believe it's that the Bible makes abundantly clear and biological science confirms that when a woman is pregnant with a child, two distinct persons are involved the body and soul of the mother, and the body and soul of the baby. So when a woman has an abortion, she's not just making a decision about her body. She's also making a decision that ends the life of her child, a biologically separate and distinct, self-conscious, image-bearing, precious human being. This is a grave thing. It's a terrible tragedy. It breaks God's heart, and it should break ours. But there's more. It also carries with it the grief and brokenness people experience after turning to an abortion. And society's acceptance of abortion infects the way we think about other areas of life. The truth that we're all precious in God's sight gets obscured. The value of life is compromised and in some circles even forgotten. But we can't stop there. Why? Because it's equally, if not important, because of the presence and effects of sin in our world, to also remember the Bible's clarity that God is the source and author, not only of physical life, but more importantly, spiritual and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Even if we're physically born... Everyone faces the prospect of physical and spiritual death. You, me, everyone sitting in this room, everyone listening online, we are all, every single one of us, sinful by nature and sinful in our actions. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even more importantly, because of that sin, any single sin That sin separates us from a just and holy God. And as a result of that, we will also die physically and spiritually. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus has solved the sin and the death problem. And he offers a certain hope of eternal life through faith in him. Romans 5.8 offers us that good news, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect and a holy life. 
He sacrificed himself on the cross. His substitutionary death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin that a holy and just God demands. And so Romans 6.23 doesn't just end with the wages of sin is death. No, how does it end? With this wonderful news, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Jesus offers us a way to eternal life by faith in him through the free gift of his redemptive work on the cross. How do I receive that gift? It's really quite simple. Repent, confess, and believe or trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Repent means to be so sorry for your sins that you turn away from them or turn around from them and acknowledge your need for a Savior. Confess means to admit your sinfulness before God and your need of him as a Savior. And believing means to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to accept his offer of life paid for by his death on the cross through faith in him. If you're sitting here today and have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, now is the time. A day and a life of renewal and purpose and joy awaits you. And if God is tugging on your heart to take this step today, there will be people down front after service can help you, who can help you walk through that process. But I want to stop for a minute and talk about God's promise of forgiveness and redemption and eternal life in the context of abortion. Why? Because these same truths and promises apply even in the context of lives that have been touched by an abortion, and perhaps especially so. Now, my focus this morning is not to, to come from a spirit of judgment or condemnation about past decisions that have been made. I have not walked in any of your shoes. I don't think I can understand and I do not minimize how hard such a decision of whether or not to keep or not to keep a child can be for any individual. But I do know the forgiveness and the renewal and the new life that Jesus offered to everyone, including someone who's wrestled through the problem of abortion. If you're sitting here today, whether you're a man or a woman and wrestling through the pain and implications of an abortion, know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is waiting to forgive you fully and completely and to adopt you as his precious and special child. There is no sin too big for God to forgive. There is no pain so deep that God cannot remove and heal it. There is no level of despair that God cannot fill with peace and with joy. God is here now waiting for you with loving and open arms. The question is, will you will come to him and start that new life in Christ? Now, today, we also have the special blessing of Lori Drake, our local life clinic director, being with us. And if you're struggling with the pain of an abortion, I want you to invite you to come meet with Lori after the service today. She'll be around at the table in the back. Life Clinic has a wonderful post-abortion ministry. And I know Lori would love to connect you with that ministry and help you along that very unique road to healing and forgiveness and peace and wholeness. 
So to wrap it all up, what does this mean to me practically in today's world? I think as Christians, we need to first love others with the same kind of selfless and unconditional love that Jesus has shown to us. And then we need to find ways to stand in the gap in a life-affirming way. And to put a couple of thoughts around that, I'd like to close with two simple suggestions and then get our panel up here to help us talk about other ways we might do so. So first, share the gospel and stand for the truth about the unborn everywhere, all the time. Perhaps the most important thing we can do is be ready to share the gospel and take a loving but uncompromising stand on the importance of life, particularly the life of an unborn child. We need to be prepared to be the voice of truth when it comes to the reality of when life begins. To firmly... To firmly but lovingly be prepared to explain to others that unborn babies are unique, they're precious, they're image-bearing, they're conscious, they're distinct human beings from the moment of conception onward. Another way to do that is to educate ourselves about the Reproductive Freedom for All Amendment on the ballot. To help you do that, there's some information sheets on the lobby table And they're put together by a large coalition of groups that you'll be familiar with who are advocates. Most important. in her pregnancy. What, a, what more beautiful and meaningful way to be the hands and feet of Jesus to others, to help someone, and in doing that, to help ourselves move one step closer to Jesus. How better to do that than to be ready and willing to jump in and walk along someone who's either struggling to choose life or has chosen life and is now struggling with, how do I make it all work? Because that's a big reality, often for people who choose life. Brothers and sisters, the stakes here are enormous. Precious, image-bearing human lives hang in the balance. The opportunity to live the gospel in practical, selfless, even sacrificial ways is in front of us. And so I end with the following challenge for me and for all of us here today. For God to break our hearts for the unborn. To open our eyes to those opportunities around us to stand in the gap for life. To be ready to love and to care for someone in need, even to the point of personal sacrifice. 
and in doing so to enable us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that's lost and hurting and in great need. Amen? All right, let's have the panel come on up and join me. So I think you know most of the people over here, but for just a second, I'll make sure you all do. You remember Lori Drake from Life Clinic on my far right. Then there's John and Peggy Wharton, a couple of our senior saints here from Midland Free. And then Tammy Stevens, who sits immediately on my right, uh, who has uh, been involved with Labor of Love, uh, which is a ministry that does a lot of work with women uh, facing pregnancies. So... What I want to do today is I'm going to start, I'm just going to kind of run down the line um, and talk to folks about a few things, but I want to start with John and Peggy Wharton. And one of the things that I think is great about the three people up here on stage is all of them have their own unique story about how they encountered life or abortion or a challenge to life and how it's informed what they're doing today. And so John and Peggy, I know you have a personal testimony about keeping your ending a pregnancy and could you share that with us? girlfriend that we were pregnant all right and my immediate thought was i've got to marry this woman we have to find a way to get married well no phones no emails nothing it was all you know seven day mail either way um i came home i had a tough time convincing her we had to get married peggy never thought of abortion i didn't even know what it was and we got married uh, we have our baby and uh, it was not easy. It was tough. There was a lot of sacrifice. We didn't get much support at all. And I'm sad to say, even from our families. Um, fast forward, 1967, our second child is being born. Um, back working, going to college at night. We don't have a car. We don't have money. Peggy has the best... Um, OBGYN physician in Philadelphia. He's the teaching physician at the major hospital in, in downtown. She is in labor. They call me at work and I have to get there by public transportation. I don't have a car. I get there. I run into the hospital and at that time the hospital delivery rooms were in the basements. And I go running down this hallway and this guy throws a hook around my arm, pulls me into I never met him before. And he starts telling me, Mr. Wharton, we have a problem. We have to make a decision on what we're going to do about this baby. And I said, what's the problem? And he said, well, from what I can find out, and this is 1967, really ancient technology. Everything is by hand, by feel, external, some internal, that we have a hydrocephalic, open spine, totally undeveloped baby, and it will not survive delivery. I said, what, what does that mean? And he says, if the baby survives delivery, you will have a child with a wheelchair for the rest of your life, you have all kinds of surgeries. I want you to let me take that child during delivery. And I didn't even think, we were not believers. This is a Holy Spirit moment, really. And it, I can't explain it otherwise. And we said, no, um, we'll take what we get. We had a baby, normal, eight pounds, 
18 ounces, in an incubator for a week. The doctor was wrong. It was a facial presentation. The child had been had the head banging against her pelvis bone during delivery. He was full of blood. The question was whether he's going to live or not. He did. He is now a bank president, the father of three grown boys, who this bank president loves to take 100-mile bike rides in the mountains of Colorado for, for fun, all right? Um, this is different. God took us through this. We didn't. All right, give it to Peggy. Yeah, let me, so let me turn to Peggy for a second. So um, I under, also understand that you and John were one of the couples from Midland Free who were instrumental in the founding um, of Life Clinic way back 30-plus years ago. And so could you tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved and what it was like? Well, even based on our previous history, we didn't really have a um, standing on life. Uh, and while we were attending this church, this new church, we had just moved here a couple years, uh, a couple asked us if we would join the board for starting a crisis pregnancy center. And we said, we'd have to pray about that. <laughs> and we had to sit down and decide, are we pro-life? And of course, we chose life. We were believers at this time, and we chose life. Um, it became a real challenge to develop a ministry and make it a ministry, not something secular or political. It took hours and hours and years for us to get a nonprofit status, to get a board. Our first year's funding was $300. <laughs> it took us a couple years to open up an office. It took us a few years to realize that it wasn't just about the baby. It was about the mom and the dad. And as things progressed, we all had to go through training. We got volunteers. We were blessed with volunteers, some who still there, um, who wanted to help women through pregnancies, to give them courage, to give them love, the love of Jesus. Amen. So before we leave you and move on to Tammy, just one last question. Because there's somebody sitting out there who's maybe burdened to do more, but they're looking at it and saying, oh, that's John and Peggy Wharton. I could never do something like that. What would you say to them? Oh, we've said no a lot. <laughs> and it was, it was a screaming, kicking thing. And, and it went on and on. And it was like, we had 12 midnight meetings. I was ready to quit I don't know how many times. All right? And I don't know what kept us going other than hindsight, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you just trust in the Lord. It was not us. That was not us. And my input is, you can do something. There is always something you can do. Great. Thank you. So let's... Yep. So let's move to Tammy for a minute. As some of us know from Josh's comments when we opened uh, this forum, or this focus, when we helped launch it, you have your own personal story about keeping or ending a pregnancy. And so could you share that in just a minute or so? I know it's hard, but try. Um, yeah, so I thought I could get through this. <laughs> um, when I found myself pregnant, I was absolutely terrified. Um, it was one of those that couldn't happen to me. 
In the last 11 months prior to finding out I was pregnant, I had lost three very close family members, one of which was my father from a very horrific death. And now I found myself pregnant. So as I went through that journey, I questioned what do I do next? And I had found out I was pregnant at Life Clinic, which back then was Crisis Pregnancy Services. And confirming the pregnancy test, I remembered one thing that my dad had instilled in my, as a child, was if you ever find yourself pregnant, you have two choices. Parent the child or place the baby for adoption. But my dad was gone, so that piece was just somewhere in my mind. And I was told by another very close family member that if you keep this baby, you're going to ruin Josh's life forever. Just get rid of it. And that person had asked me if I cared about him. And if I did, I would serve him better by not keeping the baby. And my mom had actually wanted to take me to another state, have the baby, and come back and never tell anyone. Well, it didn't take long for me to realize that I knew what I wanted to do was to parent this baby. I had no idea how Josh would respond to that. And to my surprise... He went along with whatever I said. Uh, At that time, I didn't have family that supported me. And Josh's family was supportive. But all I could think about during that time was, but they're his family. When are they going to turn on me too? Thank you. So you do work with Labor of Love, which is uh, an organization that that trains and helps doulas to help uh, women who are going through pregnancy. How does what you went through inform what you're doing today? So as I walked through my own personal journey, as I mentioned, I I chose life and I had a beautiful baby girl. But what I found was even though I had a boyfriend who was supportive, I still felt very alone. So fast forward several years when I um, had been a doula, I had been, so for those of you who don't know what a doula is, it comes from the Greek. It's a woman serving another woman through childbirth. It's a fancy way of seeing a birth coach. But what it really came down to was I still felt alone. And so when I founded Labor of Love in Michigan, I did it out of the desire so that no woman would ever have to go through pregnancy and birth alone and primarily birth. And that was the core of what, um, what Labor of Love was founded on, but it was actually founded from scripture. Um, it was our verse is 1 John uh, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And that is the reason. But it was my story and my testimony of that loneliness and that pregnancy along with what God told and showed me to do. So I guess a quick follow-up is, how does labor love stand in the gap for life for someone who's facing an abortion or trying to decide what to do? So unlike other normal doula services, they partner with somebody right before birth. We actually start from the moment we get a call. And I have had the privilege of walking a journey from the moment someone had a positive pregnancy test. We've gotten calls from Life Clinic on their medical services. We're here with a client right now who has a positive test and doesn't know what to do. Um, A doctor has called us. We've just shown up at a doctor's office and we can start from that moment and walk the entire journey. And when I say we walk the journey, our, our program walks the journey and tells them, because honestly, 
the vast majority of women who feel that they need to consider an abortion are alone. And so our journey is so that they are not alone. We walk from every doctor's appointment to every community connection to doing life together. We're in their homes. We teach them every basic life skill so that we can say to them, you're not alone. I will walk this journey. And I have been very blessed and privileged to walk with women who have considered for several weeks to end the life of their baby because they wanted to see if they could trust me if I was really going to follow through. And so we have been privileged to see life come to be because we walked that journey. Amen. Thank you, Tammy. So let's go to, let's go to Lori. And now you have a little bit of a personal story too about how you can and how that connects to how you have a passion for what Life Clinic does. I do. Um, Actually, my story probably started before I was born when my mom was pregnant with me when she graduated from high school. And um, my parents did get married. And um, I'll just say that um, parenting was not their gift. They, I had a really rough upbringing. And I had um, told myself that I would leave as soon as I possibly could. And I did. I went to college and... Um, I did the same thing. <laughs> I got pregnant, uh, found someone and fell in love and wanted to um, just be loved because that wasn't really a part of my upbringing. And so I went to a pregnancy center. It's a far cry from what they are today, but I went and um, I was really encouraged by them that uh, I could do it. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted to keep the baby. I just wasn't sure how that was going to work. And so... Um, I ended up um, having a beautiful baby boy, and um, fast forward a lot of years, uh, um, I when he went uh, back to co- when he went to college, um, I decided I was going to go get my master's degree. So I had finished college by that time, and I wanted to go get my master's degree, and so. Uh, I was at church one day, and the pregnancy center came to the church that I was at, and they were looking for volunteers. And um, I wasn't working because I was working on my master's degree, and I thought, well, I could do that. I could volunteer at the pregnancy center. So uh, I did, and I was there volunteering probably three or four months, and the director quit. And the board came to me and said, um, we want you to be the director and I said, um, no, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, that, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And, um, but God wouldn't leave me alone about it. And so uh, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to be disobedient to God, but it doesn't work. So uh, I, I became... It didn't the, work for Jonah. <laughs> no, no. And so I, I became the director of um, two pregnancy centers in Evansville, Indiana. And um, I really loved it. And I learned so much about the nonprofit world and about the pregnancy center world. And I just, I, I knew that God had me there for a reason. But then about eight years into that, um, my sister lived in Michigan and she had cancer and she was struggling with being a single mom of four kids. And so we decided to move to Michigan to help her and uh, I applied for the job at the Midland Center and I got hired there and we moved to Michigan and now 
uh, almost seven years into that, my sister's cancer-free and lives in Texas where it's warm. (laughs) 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 I I now still live in Michigan, but have never doubted that God called me here for a reason. Amen. So one of the things Lori and I talked about, and I asked her when we were preparing for this, I said, well, how have things changed since the Dobbs decision in June? Um, when it comes to the role and the need for places like Life Clinic, what are the biggest challenges you're facing now? So the biggest challenges right now with the overturning of of Roe v. Wade um, really doesn't have anything to do with the clients. That part hasn't really changed much. Um, Our clients aren't really concerned with politics. Their stories are personal, and, um, you know, they they have their own struggles. But... how it's changed is for us internally. Um, pregnancy centers all across the United States are being harassed and vandalized, some burned to the ground. Um, it caused us to increase our security measures and spend a lot of time in prayer <laughs> just for protection. Um, we have, uh, I'm just bombarded all the times with questions about you know, everything from our stance on a woman's right to choose to just just everything inundated with phone calls and emails about that and have had some pretty um, harassing type of emails and conversations. So um, that part has been difficult for all of us. And then the other thing we talked about, which I thought was really interesting, is your views on what are some of the challenges that you think are coming when it comes to life and abortion and the battle that's going on? Sure. So that's kind of twofold, I think, partially for the client aspect of things. Um, you know, the abortion pill is going to be so much more prevalent. I mean, they're going to be working to make that like the emergency contraceptives, the plan B, which you can now get without a prescription in vending machines. It's just not, you know, it's just readily available. And so that will be something that's really um, more prevalent for our clients to be able to get that easily. And then the other um, piece of that is from um, really, I would say from what I do more, the donors uh, perspective where, um, and we found this with the calls that we were getting people that um, it, the issue used to be more black and white, and now it's a little more gray, a lot of what you were talking about this morning. And people uh, who really maybe consider them consider themselves pro-life previously um, may not, may be on the fence themselves about that. And so that, I see that as being hard. All right, one last question. Um, how would you encourage someone who is burdened to get more involved and, ones, and, and about the opportunities that you've got at Life Clinic? Uh, there's lots of ways to help at Life Clinic and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, you know, we have lots of volunteer positions. We, we have over 30 volunteers. And so um, I would say, just like what happened to me, if God's urging you to do that, be obedient. He's not going to leave you alone until you do. But... There, there are all kinds of things to do using your time and your talents. Like right now, we have a need for somebody to pick items up at our Midland location and take it to our Bay City locations, warehouse, and bring items back. 
I mean, that is, would be a huge help to, to Life Clinic. We sometimes have, need people to stuff envelopes or we need someone to um, plow the snow in our Saginaw location. There's lots of ways to be involved that may not be, you know, just working one-on-one with clients. There's lots of ways. So for all you behind-the-scenes guys like me, there's your opportunities, right? Well, thank you all for coming and joining us uh, for this time of panel discussion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up on stage, and I'm going to close us quickly in prayer. Father, thank you for being a God of life, both physical and eternal. Thank you for reminding us that unborn children are distinct, image-bearing, precious human beings from the moment of conception. And thank you for the gift of life through faith in Jesus. Help give us the faith and courage to live and speak these truths with love in our culture. Help us to see places you have for each of us to stand in the gap for life, even if it means great personal sacrifice. And through it all, we pray that you would be glorified and you would be magnified both in Midland and around the world. In Jesus' Jesus' name, amen.